This morning we're talking about what the Bible says you are. What the Bible says you are. I'm going to tell you right now we're going to be in three passages. Ephesians 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, and Matthew chapter 28. If you really want to know what the Bible says you are, you're going to have to do a study that starts in Genesis and works all the way through Revelation, and it's going to take you years to accomplish it. But we got about 30 minutes right now to try and fit that all in, so I'm going to do my best. But before we do that, we got to talk about who we're talking to. Most pastors know that in any given church service, anytime I'm preaching, I'm preaching to four different groups of people right now, and you're kind of looking around right now like, how is he going to break us down? It's very simple. Uh, Number one, you have mature believers, people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. They've been devoted to Jesus for a long time. They've been serving and growing for a long time. They know who they are in Christ, and they've been there for a while. The second group is you have growing believers. They're people who have come to Christ, and they've made major changes in their life, and they're moving in a certain direction, and they're still learning, and they're still growing. Not that we ever get there, and the mature believers haven't, but they're at this point where They've been learning and growing, and there's the next thing that they're taking on. Then you have new believers, people who are new to this Jesus thing and recognize that there's something to it, and they're moving in that direction, but this is all kind of new to them, and they're learning as they go. This is fresh, and there's a lot of change happening all at once, and they're trying to get all of the Bible, and man, what what else do I need to know? And then you have people who maybe aren't quite there yet. There's maybe some of you here today who you're just checking this Jesus Jesus thing out. You've been driving past the church a bunch of times and you looked and said like, maybe I'll go one of these Sunday mornings. And this happens to be that Sunday morning. Maybe a friend invited you out and, and you're not necessarily sold on all this, but you're going to see what it's all about. I'm here to tell you that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. So when I say what the Bible says about who you are, I need to be very clear about who I'm talking about today. Who I'm talking about is Christians. But then you got to ask the question, well, what is a Christian? I hear that something like 80% of Americans say that they're a Christian, but I've been to Wegmans recently, and I can tell you 80% of the people do not look like Jesus to me, and I'm not just talking about long hair and a beard. I'm talking about the way that we act. We understand that Christianity is not just a card that I tick and say, this is my religious belief right here. Christianity is about discipleship. It's about a walk. It's about the person of Christ. It is not a bunch of boxes that we tick. Did I read my Bible today? Did I do my devotional today? Did I go to church this week? Did I, did I honor my father and mother? Did I murder anyone? Did I like, I I hope not like at this point, but it's not just a bunch of rules that we keep. This guy, Joel Ortberg, this author, he puts it this way. He says, there's different boundaries or sets. He says, there's a boundary set. Christianity is not a boundary set where it stays exactly the same and you either are and always will be and it's static it always stays there or you are not and never will be and it's static and never stays there now i'm not talking about once saved always saved or anything like that he says it's what mathematicians and any of you who know me know that i am the farthest thing in the world from a mathematician so i'm going to go go with john ortberg and what he says here he says there's something called a centered set and what that means is there is a center that things are gravitating 
towards. For instance, if we talk about baldness, right? It's a topic near and dear to my heart. If we talk about baldness, there are varying degrees. Right now, my son, who's six months old, uh, you're going to get to meet him next week as we dedicate him. I'm excited about that. But Kale, who's sleeping in mommy's arms right over here, is pretty close to bald. He has more hair than me, but not by a lot. But the way that he's moving is from baldness toward a full head of hair probably for about 20 years, given what, given what I know about it, you know, and then, and then it starts. Now I, who am standing before you today, looking like Mr. Clean came from a full head of hair and have moved away from that direction. That's the difference between a boundary set where you're either are or you aren't and nothing ever changes and a centered set where you're moving towards or away from something. As we talk about Christianity today, I want you to look at it in the terms of a centered set. I am either moving towards Jesus, I am moving closer to Jesus, or I am moving farther away from Jesus and who he is. What that means is that I can know about Jesus for 30 years and not be any closer to him than I was 30 years ago. I might know everything that the Bible has to say, but I've just been busy ticking boxes and I haven't got any closer to the person of who Jesus is. That means that I am still way out here and saved, not saved. I'm not here to talk about any of that today. What I'm talking about is where are we in our walk? When I talk about a Christian, what I'm talking about today for the purpose of what we're discussing, are we moving closer to Jesus Are we just kind of standing still? And I got news for you. There's no such thing as standing still. Or am I kind of drifting farther away? The good news is no matter where you are on that spectrum this morning, you can change it like that. It's a simple act of decision-making and choices. So speaking to the people in the room who consider themselves disciples of Jesus, what a disciple is, is someone who is becoming more like the person that they follow, right? My children, whether they like it or not, they are disciples of me. Whether I like it or not, I'm disciples of my parents. The older I get, the more I realize, like, man, I am just like my dad in this area of my life. Man, I am just like my mom in this area of my life. I was talking with with Scott Hundley. Can we just real quick, just real quick, nothing to do with the sermon. Can we thank our tech team up on the balcony for all of the thankless work that they do week after week? I was up there giving him my slides for this morning, or giving them my slides for this morning, and, and Scott was telling me something about my son and Royal Rangers and what he sees. It was just such an encouraging thing, Scott. I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for boosting me this morning, man. It's nice to hear good things about your kid. But it was so funny to see, here are the traits where Silas is becoming more like his dad, and here are the traits where Silas is becoming more like his mom. A Christian is a disciple, someone who is becoming more like the person that they're following, the person in this case is Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear about who Jesus is and what he came to do. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. He is bringing us to himself. It says that he's redeemed us for God. He's provided the way to the Father. 
That's what Jesus does. And he tells us that we're filled with his Holy Spirit when we, when we become Christians, when we get what the church calls saved, when we become disciples of Jesus. He says, I'm not going to leave you, but I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us so that the Holy Spirit is in us, but we're also in the Holy Spirit. It's this strange concept, but those who have walked in it know what I'm talking about. I describe it like, like a sponge in a bowl of water. If you take the sponge and you put it in the water, Well, the sponge is in the water, but the water is also in the sponge. What this discipleship with our God looks like is that I am in Christ. I'm walking in him and in his precepts. And I believe that he saved me and I believe that he's changing me. And he's also in me. I'm in him and he's in me. And it's this partnership as we walk together. So when we say who the Bible says you are, this is what we're talking about. Disciples of Jesus Christ. People who are in that centered set, moving closer to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. And so the first place that I want to take you is my favorite place in all of scripture about who we are. I recognize we could go to Genesis and we can see that we're made in God's image, but that sin corrupted that. And so I have fragments of what God originally created. I got attributes of of the divine in me, but I also have this corrupted nature that's happened in there. And we're talking about as we move past that in the book of Ephesians chapter one, if you're using the pew Bibles, it's on page 617, but it's going to be up here on the screen. I want to see if you could read this with me. It says, would you read this out loud with me? And I want you to notice two things. There are a few different attributes, who you are in Christ that I have in bold and underlined and like with a shadow there. And then I just want you to notice how many times in there too, it says in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's because outside of Christ, if I'm not a disciple of Christ, if I am not walking with Christ, if I am not moving closer to him, this does not apply to me if I am not in Christ. But in Christ, in Christ, this is who we are. Would you read it with me? It's long. It's two slides. Would you read it with me? Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Time out. Stop. You guys are good readers. You're doing much better than when I asked you where Jamie was going to be. This is improvement. The first thing that we are is right there. We're blessed. We'll come back to that. Who has blessed us, all right, everybody back, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Slide. There we go. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1 three through seven. I want to encourage you in the notes that you got this morning, those little things, take a second and write down Ephesians one and just leave it there. Cause there's more than just a few that I'm covering today, but we only have so much time to work with. I don't know about you. I kind of got lost as I was reading that the apostle Paul tends to like keep going without 
punctuation for a very, very long time. He writes these very long run-on sentences, and, and I can get turned around a little bit when I'm reading the Apostle Paul. Anytime I'm reading the epistles, I find I need to go back and reread and reread and reread to see what he's actually saying. So here are the things that I want to pull out of there. In him, for those of us who are in him, number one, we are blessed. We are blessed. The word blessed literally means to cause to prosper, to make happy, to bestow blessings on, or the one that I like the best, favored of God. Blessed means favored of God. Favored of God. God's blessings on people started with Adam and Eve. And the very first person here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we're only 28 verses into the Bible. We've only got like one verse where humans exist. And here's what it says about them. Genesis 1, 28, it says, God blessed them. They didn't earn it. They didn't go looking for it. They didn't manipulate God into doing it through a series of actions and behaviors. God just did it because that's who God is. If you want to know who you are, you have to understand it all comes back to who Christ is, who God is. God has blessed you. You might not be feeling that this morning. You might be walking through some heavy stuff right now and you're thinking, Lord, where are my blessings? I just want to encourage you. Take a step back and ask him. Take a minute to be quiet. Say, Lord, where am I blessed? Because I know for me, and and maybe this is just the way I'm wired, it's real easy to see the negative and to lose sight of the positive. It's real easy for me to look at the mountain in front of me and to forget all of the incredible that's behind me and that's around me. It's easy to forget the blessings of God. That's why in my prayers every morning, I make sure to take time to stop and to thank God. We're, inclu- we're, we're instructed in Philippians that when we pray in everything, giving thanks, because it reminds me. And when it reminds me, it encourages me so that I can move forward. We're blessed in Christ Jesus. Our blessings are found and realized only in Christ. Apart from him, they won't be fully bestowed, realized, or enjoyed. Another way of saying that is these blessings come alive when you're in Christ. The second thing that you are, you are chosen. It means to choose oneself. It's the same word for Jesus choosing his disciples. Here's what you need to hear this morning. God picked you. He wants you. He likes you. He loves you. When I think of chosen, I immediately go back to fourth grade gym class and dodgeball. I love dodgeball. 40 years old, I still love dodgeball, and I still get way too intense playing it. You can just ask my sister and her family. We played at the girls' birthday party the other day. They're like, you kind of get that. I said, yeah, if you're going to pick me, I'm going to play. You remember dodgeball? You get the two most athletic kids in the class to stand there, and then they pick teams. The only thing that you want in that moment 
is to just not be last or second to last, right? Like the only thing that you want, like who's going to pick me? And when you pick me, I'm going to make it worth your while, but don't pick me. I remember all the boys in the class, those of us that took gym class way too seriously, which was all the boys in the class back then, right? We would all like when they're picking, like you like lean forward, you do this crazy look on your face, you like, you know, and especially when you see what team's filling up, you know pretty quick which team you want to be on in dodgeball. Like you see like these kids over here and you're like, uh-uh, <laughs> Like, I'll be their only hope if I'm on that team. The only thing you don't want is to be the last one picked. And I want to say this to you. Some of us, our identity is still wrapped up in fourth grade dodgeball. Some of us, some of you, you maybe feel still like the last one chosen. You feel like nobody wants me. I'm an outcast. I'm tossed aside. I'm not as good as that one. I'm not as smart as that one. I don't have the resources or the money that that one has. I don't have the wife or the husband that that one has. I don't have. And you see all of the lack. And I know there are some of you in this room today that you still feel like the last one picked. You need to see what God says about you. Not what he says about the person sitting next to you, though it's true for them too. What God is saying to you this morning, that in him, you are chosen. I'm going to say it again. He picked you. He wants you. He likes you. He loves you. And you need to know this. You weren't the last one that he picked. You have value. You have worth. Not because some company who wants you to buy their skincare products says so, but because God says so. You have so much value. The next thing that the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, he says, You're blessed and you're chosen. He says, You're adopted. It means exactly what it sounds like. He says it in the next line as a son. You have been not just picked or chosen. He didn't just pick you for a team. He adopted you to be a part of his family. Think about the implications of that. He knew that you would come with challenges and problems. He didn't have this rosy-eyed, like, or rose-colored glasses thought that, like, oh, man, they're going to come and put... He knew every area where you're flawed and where you're broken and what kind of baggage you're carrying with you. He knew that compared to him, you had nothing to offer. He knew that complications in his current family would arise simply because of your presence. In fact, his biological son had to die in order for you to become a part of the family. He knew all of the junk about you and he picked you anyway. He adopted you Anyway, you might feel this morning like you're the one messing everything up with all of your problems and baggage. And you know what? Maybe you are. But here's the thing. God knew and he adopted you, chose you, loves you anyway. He's not surprised by it. 
We all try so hard to look so perfect, like everything's okay. And God said, man, I see right through it. I know exactly what I'm getting into. And I want you to be a part of my family. He's given us family. That means brothers and sisters to walk with us. That's why we're doing dinner for eight. I'm going to tell you, I don't need another thing on my calendar. But what I need is people that we can walk together and encourage one another. People that God has made part of our family. Family supports one another. Family looks out for one another. Family builds one another up and encourages one another. And maybe you come from a messed up family that doesn't know about it. Well, come join ours. God's family is perfect, even with all of our imperfections. That's who he is and what he's brought you into. That's the God who loves you. That's the God who we serve. And that's why it's so good to be in Christ. He gave you a name. We carry an identity because of whose name we have. He gave us security. We know that if God is for us, who can be against us? And he gave us an inheritance. All that belongs to the Father belongs to the sons. We get to share forever in what our Heavenly Father has, thanks to what his son, Jesus, has done. You have been adopted. That's beautiful, church. The next thing Paul talks about, he says, you have been accepted. That means literally to endue with special honor, make accepted, or highly favored. So maybe your family is not the greatest example, and you feel like you can be a member, but still not be wanted. Because some of us, you know, you can feel like, all right, I'm a part of this family, but I don't feel like a part of something. Paul tells you here, you are accepted in the beloved It's true that on your own, you're not good enough, but God views you through Christ's righteousness. And so now you are accepted. What a beautiful thing it is to be accepted. When I first got saved, there was a book I read. I think the first book that I read when I first got saved outside of the Bible. It was a book by Max Lucado. It's called Just Like Jesus. And I still recommend it. But I remember right on the cover of the book, it said, God will accept you or God will take you right where you are but he won't leave you there. It's so true, and it's so good. Do you walk in here with hidden sin? Do you walk in here feeling like, man, I'm not, I don't measure up? No, none of us do. I certainly don't. I am not accepted because of the good things that I've done. People, and and I don't know that this happens at this church as often, but I don't know you all that well, and so we could figure this out together. People sometimes think that pastors have this, like, ultra-holiness, like we, like, like, on the day that we get ordained or licensed or whatever, that, like, something happens and, like, all of a sudden we're a step above everybody else. I just want you to know, like, that ain't it. (laughs) I actually, uh, after my son's game last week, I was, I was talking so much to the ref that I wrote him an apology letter that I gave him this week because you know what we haven't arrived yet my passion can be the best thing when it's used the right way and it can be the worst thing when it's used outside of Christ that's the whole centered thing which direction are we moving he didn't accept me because of all of the good things that I have to offer he accepted me because of all of the good things that he has to offer gang one thing you need to know about Christianity it's not about you it's all about him The next thing Paul says is, you are redeemed in him. Redeemed means a releasing effected by payment of ransom. 
that's like one of those movies where there's things exploding and, you know, Mel Gibson's trying to get his son back or whatever happened back in the 90s, right? Where, where like, for $2 million or she dies by midnight, like, like God paid the $2 million. That's the ransom. This is what it costs to set you free. But it costs a lot more than that. God had to give his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son. Why? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The wages of sin is death. What I've earned with my failures and with my rebellion and with my wanting to build my kingdom my way is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Here's what you need to know about being redeemed, about God paying your ransom. How much do you think you're worth? Isn't that the old saying, everybody has a price? If you had to think about it right now, what are you worth? What's your number? What would somebody pay to get you back? How much are you worth? Whatever you think you're worth, God thinks you're worth more. In fact, the price that he paid... I will never, this side of eternity, comprehend. I don't even know next side of eternity, if I'll ever really understand it. That's up to him, I suppose. Oh, your value to him. God doesn't consult your past when he determines your future. He's... Not that way. He already paid for you. It's not will Jesus pay the ransom. If I do these things, maybe he will. No, he paid it 2,000 years ago. You're already paid for. The question is, are you going to walk in it? Are you in Christ? That should come out of joy and thanksgiving, not obligation. Finally, Paul says in Ephesians, we're forgiven. Released from bondage or imprisonment is what the word in this context means. Released from bondage or imprisonment. It means we can live free from that bondage and imprisonment. We don't have to go back to that old sin anymore. We don't have to carry the weight of it around with us. I remember what it felt like to be trapped in certain behaviors and patterns and habits and lifestyles. And I remember how much I wanted but never felt like I could get free from it. And for years I believed the lie. This is just how it is and this is just who I am. From the pulpit, I don't think there's a strong enough word to say how wrong that is. You are free. Kirsten Hakes talked about it one time this way. She said, you know, you feel like you're in a prison cell and you don't realize that the door's unlocked, that all you got to do is push it open and walk out. You don't have to go back. Warren Buffett, this might be the first time that Warren Buffett has ever been quoted from up here, but Warren Buffett, that mogul. Hey, man, sometimes people say smart things. I'm not going to discriminate. He says this. Bad habits, or what we would call sin, bondage to sin, 
He said they're like chains too light to feel until they are too heavy to carry. Let me say that again. Your sins are like chains too light to feel until they're too heavy to carry. It starts off easy, but man, does it get weighty after a while. But in Christ, you are forgiven. You're free. You get to determine whether that's where you go or not. The choice is yours. Now, there may be things that through your choices you have added on that might make it more challenging to make the right choices, but it does not change the fact that you have a choice to make. And again, you're part of a family. Walk with somebody. Keeping it a secret is usually the way that the enemy keeps you tied up the most. There's freedom and confession. And so the Apostle Paul says, you are blessed in him, chosen by him, adopted to him, accepted in him, redeemed by him, and forgiven by him, in him, in him, in him. So Paul in Ephesians tells us who we are in him, and Peter doubles down on it. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter tells us here both who God says we are and what he's given us to do. He attaches purpose to our identity. Because you are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation, you are to proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He gives purpose to our identity, or he attaches purpose to our identity. For instance, because this is my watch, it is able and expected to keep time. This is what it is. This is what it is able and expected to do. Because these are my shoes, they are both able and expected to protect my feet. Because you are in Christ, you are able and expected to do certain things. There is a purpose attached to your identity. He says, first, you are. This is who you are in Christ. You are a chosen generation. There's that word chosen again. Just like Paul said, you are chosen in him. He says, you are a chosen. God picked you, but he attaches to it a chosen generation. That means you were chosen for right now. You were chosen for March 8th. 2020 and beyond as long as you walk this earth. You were chosen for, like it says in the book of Esther, for such a time as this. You were picked for today. God chose you, redeemed you, freed you, adopted you, and placed you for such a time as this. As a Christian, I have a responsibility to the world around me. Matthew 28, 19. We're gonna, you're going to keep hearing Matthew 28 in these next couple of sentences. Matthew 28, 19. We call it the Great Commission. It's the one job that Jesus gave his people to do. He says, go therefore and make disciples. And the word go, he says, as you go is the literal translation of that. Like wherever you are, whatever you are doing, as you go, make disciples. You're a chosen generation. And so wherever I go, because I've been picked for God's team, wherever I go, my job in Christ is to make disciples. He picked me for his team, but his team has a purpose. If I pick you for my team in dodgeball, I expect you to throw balls at people's faces because that's how dodgeball works. 
I expect you to help our team win. That's why I chose you. God chose you to help advance his team, to help advance his kingdom. Jesus chose you to make disciples. So the job where Christ has placed you, he chose you to make disciples right there. You're a chosen generation. You're placed in that place to make disciples. The school where Christ placed you, you are chosen generation. You're on this team in order to make disciples. The neighborhood where he's placed you, you get it. You see where we're going with this. Wherever you are, you were picked to be a part of a team. Help the team win. Do the, what the team is supposed to do. Go make disciples. There are people who don't know who the Bible says they are. Go make disciples. You're here to change that. That's your role on this team. You part of the team? Then get in the game. He says you're a chosen generation. He also says you're a royal priesthood. Royalty is something that you are born, or in this case, according to Paul, adopted into. And royalty comes with it responsibility. It comes with it privileges, But it also brings with it authority. Jesus says in Matthew 28, in that great commission passage, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He has the authority. He's royalty. Go, therefore, make disciples. You're adopted. This authority now belongs to you. Because we're adopted, we have the authority that comes with his royalty. I have the authority to make disciples. And hear me on this. I don't need a special invitation to do it. It's part of who I am now. That's your job as royalty. That's your function. That's your purpose. That's your commission. Comes with this purpose. I'm not, or I'm royal, but I'm not the king. You know, I read an article just the other day. I was reading this and I was like, I don't really know much about royalty. Like, didn't didn't Prince Harry and Meghan just like renounce something? I don't spend a whole lot of time reading tabloids. I saw that it was out there, but I didn't really pay real close attention. So I jumped in to see what's this all about? How do you just leave the royal family? And it seems like there's a lot of like complexities. I just don't know how you get to say like, I don't want to be this anymore. Like, like, and I see, I and listen, I get how that fits in our context. Be careful. Remember that centered thing and what direction you're moving. But here's the thing that was amazing to me he's the prince and there's dukes and duchesses princes and princesses everything prince harry and Meghan markham that's her name yes said i don't know i don't follow this stuff everything that they said as we do this we still will fully support the queen her majesty the queen we will perform our duty still to her majesty the queen we will assist her majesty the queen and this light bulb went off in my head as i was reading this goofy report on royalty and stuff that doesn't impact my life in even the slightest way the princes and princesses and dukes and duchesses the royalty that is not the king exists to serve the king They have a responsibility not just to the people, but more so to the king whom they serve. It is their responsibility to work for their sovereign. We've been made royalty, adopted into the family in the same way. I'm here to serve the king. What did Jesus teach us to pray? This is what we're talking about this Wednesday night at 7, by the way. If you want to go deeper here, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, little plug, little combined service there as we talk about the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I'm here to advance your kingdom. I might be adopted, but there's a purpose that comes with that adoption. He says, you're a royal priesthood. The priests were responsible to serve between God and man. They assisted the high priest and ministered to the people. They were the only ones allowed to perform their function. Nobody was a royal priest except for this guy, Melchizedek, and Jesus. Jesus was from David's lineage, and he was a priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the priesthood that you're a part of. My job in the priesthood is to help people. Is to help people, assist people in worshiping. Jesus said, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you in the Great Commission. I've been chosen. I've been adopted into a royal priesthood. Now I'm to teach. I'm to help them learn. And here's the thing that I think we mess up as Christians because we tell people all the time, salvation is free. It doesn't cost you a thing. But then we want them to do all kinds of stuff. But now you have to give and you have to serve and you have to change and you have to. And so I think we've kind of messed up the way that we want people to come to Christ. No, salvation is being a part of a family and there's a purpose that comes with that family. And so if you are in Christ, this is required of you. And if you are a royal priesthood, priests denied themselves certain things that other people allowed for themselves. Gang, it comes with the territory. If you don't like it, That's your choice, but you need to consider the alternatives. I like what William McDonald says. He says, obedient children should not indulge in sins which characterize them in their former life. Now they are Christians. They should pattern their life after the one whose name they bear. If they conform to the ungodly world, they are denying their heavenly character. The things they did in their days of ignorance should be put away now now that they have been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. If I'm a royal priesthood, then I should act like it. You don't get to be both. He says, you're a holy nation. If we're in Christ, then we're part of his kingdom and our citizenship is with him. That's what Paul said when he said, we're redeemed. We're not a nation, a holy nation, that's meant to keep people out with castle walls and moats but rather worse to advance the nation. What does Jesus say in the Great Commission? Go therefore into all the world or nations, depending on your translation. My job is to bring people in. My job is to open heaven's borders. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We've been forgiven. We are free. So it's our role and responsibility to proclaim it with what we say and with how we live. Jesus said, go and make disciples. So here's what Paul said. You are blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven. Peter says... You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Here's how Jesus attaches that. In Matthew 28, 18 and 19, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Your place in heaven and your role in the kingdom are linked. You can't talk about who the Bible says you are without talking about what the Bible has commanded you to do. I can't say this is part of my family, but I have nothing to do with them and what the... If you're part of the family, if you've been adopted, then you have responsibilities. You can't separate who you are from what you're called to do. And so just to recap, you are blessed to be a blessing. You are chosen for such a time as this. You are adopted into royal responsibility. You are accepted to a call that only you can fill. You are redeemed from darkness in order to help others who are still in darkness. You are forgiven, free, with the responsibility to proclaim it. We'll leave that slide up for just a minute as we wrap this up. Who the Bible says you are? Blessed. Chosen. Adopted. Redeemed. Forgiven. Do you believe that? Circumstances and experiences can lead you to doubt it. But that's who God says you are. I know my feelings tend to be some of the biggest liars in my life. Do you need to reacclimate yourself with what it means to be those things so that you can walk with Jesus and the confidence that comes with being his? Who I am comes hand in hand with what I do. Too many times we flip it. We think this is what I do, therefore it's who I am. Jeff DeRoy is a carpenter, but that's not who he is. That's what he does. Some of you, you're nurses. That's not who you are. That's what you do. Don't confuse what you do with who you are. What you do should flow from who you are. Who are you? Oh, you are blessed. You've been picked, chosen by God, adopted into his family, and accepted to a call that only you can fill. You have been paid for. You are redeemed. And you're forgiven. Whether you feel it or not, you're free. Being adopted leads to change. Being picked is a call to action. And so I'm asking you, not in a condemning way, but in a reflective way. Can we take a second? The worship team's going to lead us in the song of who we are. How are you doing fulfilling the Great Commission? Be honest with yourself in that. The people in your life, do you see them as obstacles or opportunities? See, I love what David prayed in Psalm 139. He said, search my heart, O Lord, 
and see if there's any wicked way in me because I can justify anything. I can explain away any behavior. I can reason it. I can tell you all of the circumstances that made it right, even if it's wrong. And so I need the Lord to say, hey, here's what's wrong. Hey, here's what's got to go. Hey, here's what's right. Let's go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I'm going to ask us to do this. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I've asked the worship team to lead us in this song, Who You Say I Am. And I want us to join in in worshiping and singing this song, and I want us to believe it, but here's what I need you to do. There's such a danger that you hear things in a sermon and you nod and you say that's true and then you just leave it there in the pew when you walk out. The, the 30 feet between you and the door might be the most dangerous in the world. What do we do with it? Do you believe that this is true, that this is who you are? If you're not sure, then that's what you need to be talking to God about. Lord, show me that this is me. Show me how this is me. Where does that look? What's going on? And if you do believe that it's you, then how are you doing in the Great Commission? Because everything that he's made me to be is for a reason. I'm here to advance his kingdom. I'm here to play on his team, not to advance my agenda or my team. So let's sing together. But let's talk to Jesus while we're doing that. Lord, who do you say that I am? Come on, let's worship.